Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. Nope. We are storytellers that talk about storytelling. Yes, we are. Yep. You know, it occurs to me that today's episode might have a few extra listeners. <laughs> what? <laughs> Purely because of our guest and not in any way because of our talent or appeal. <laughs> That's, well, I'll take whatever I can get at this point. <laughs> so welcome, new listeners. Yes, for all of those fans of Elise Kova, welcome to our podcast. Uh, we should probably explain why it's called My Name is Not Steve. Okay, so I'm the last of eight children. My name is Pete, and my entire life people have called me Steve. Including your wife. Including my parents. <laughs> so it's just, I'm just reiterating the obvious. My name is not Steve. I love that your parents called you Steve since they named you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think they'd uh, they'd remember, but no, no. So we um, are storytellers. I write young adult thrillers at this point, and just thrillers in general. My first novel series is the Gabby Wells Thriller Series, and it's a young adult story. But I also have some other series in the works that will be adult-oriented. And I help you. And you do help me. <laughs> well, I'm really good with plot, as we talk about in this podcast. You're really good with character. And so we work together really well on story creation and story ideas. In this podcast, we spend time discussing storytelling, whether it's movies, television, books, or whatever. We talk about the different aspects of stories that work, uh, shows or movies or books struggle with, and things like that. So anyway, let's get on to the interview, shall we, Dorothea? With Elise Kova. Yeah. Elise is the author of the Air Awaken series. It is a fantasy series that has been doing very well. I think we've actually talked about her on this podcast before when we said that we had a friend who is also going to be a self-published author that was going to be immensely successful. Yep. And we have been accurate so far. Yep. So it's very funny having her on the show now because we told her as soon as she started working in self-publishing that she had... The pre-established fan base and she had such a strong work ethic and and really a talent for writing that she was going to be very successful when she started this whole process and she's like no i don't think so and then you know we were right <laughs> <laughs> well it's just so great because she's such an awesome awesome lady so and she's still been very humble about the whole thing which no, is she's, she's tremendous. just a sweetheart we love her so anyway let's start that interview shall we let's do it all right all right, so I'm very excited today, you guys, because a very good friend of mine, Elise Kova, is here, and she is an author. She wrote a book series called Air Awakens and is writing many other things that are equally brilliant, and it's very exciting because she is a very impressive person. She is, and what's great about Elise is that it took her seven years to be an overnight success, so I think that's kind of nice. So welcome, Elise. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I love to be here. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm excited. I'm awkward. You know, you'll get used to this, people listening. I knew when I said she's a very impressive person, I could see the face that she was going to make in me, like the big eyes and what are you doing? But I just, I've, I always tell you you're an impressive person. And I don't believe you every time. Yeah, but the thing is, is that if you look at all of your achievements, I was actually writing scenes in a book and, and I wrote one about you where you were like, she's like, well, she's done this and she's done this and she's really, she's just done everything. <laughs> I have not been to space I yet. <laughs> I haven't done that. I haven't been to space. I haven't um I haven't been diving below 120 meters. So Okay, see if you're <laughs> if you're starting with space. If you're start, 
<laughs> if you're starting with space. All right. So that, that kind of puts it in perspective. All right. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, well, tell us a little bit about the Air Awakens novel series. And then I kind of want to get into a kind of how you develop that from giving that fiction away for free, developing your fans kind of that way, and then where it turned into. So tell us a little bit about the novel series. So the Air Awakens series is my debut series. It's a young adult high fantasy romance, and there are five books in total. The fourth book is coming out April 26th. The fifth book is coming out in July. And the first three books that are out are called Air Awakens, Fire Falling, and Earth's End. And I... That, that must have been fun coming up with those. <laughs> It, it was, and many people are, the fourth book is, is Water's Wrath, and many people are hounding me, asking what the fifth book is, because they're logically saying there are four books so far, four elements so far, what is the fifth book? And I'm like, it's the space. fifth element. Space, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> they all go into space. Of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> Some spatial stories. <laughs> some people say Air Awakens again. I've had some people say Aldric Aldric, who is the <laughs> the hot prince of my series that a lot of people are quite fond of, and they just want a book titled Aldric Aldric. <laughs> now, what is high fantasy for those people who are not familiar with the different types of fantasy? Yeah. So fantasy is a, a big umbrella. And underneath the umbrella of fantasy, you have a bunch of different types. You have the urban fantasy, which is your twilight. And even Harry Potter falls under urban fantasy because it's real world with fantastical elements in it. Then you have high fantasy on the other side, which is your Tolkien, your Game of Thrones, which is a fantasy that takes place entirely in its own world. So high fantasy is other worlds, nothing about our world overlapping. It's its own thing, own rules, own systems, own magics. Now, the magics between urban fantasy and high fantasy can be the same thing. They can be different, but that's the primary difference between them. Is there such a delineation in science fiction? I don't really know, only because I don't read science fiction that much. I was just curious because you have like the... The science fiction based on real world stuff, and then the ones that create an entirely new world kind of thing. I was at a convention recently, a writer's convention, and I was on a panel with science fiction authors, and I was the resident fantasy author, and I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I, how am I on a panel with you guys? <laughs> but they, they were talking about that same idea of how there's a similar split in science fiction where there's the science fiction that's kind of near future, which you have your Martian, the Martian book, and how that's based off of, quote unquote, real science, things that could be postulated and be physically capable. And then you have your Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is let's just have this thing that makes us go at light speed to the end of the universe because plot. And so it's an interesting way to split them because then you start to see why science fiction and fantasy get lumped in together because that kind of high science fiction, if you will, is very fantastical in a way. Right, right, yeah. And and that was one thing that we discussed on the panel was where do you draw the line between science fiction and fantasy when the machines or whatnot are acting in a way that's almost like magic. Right. How did you start this process? Like, you know, I know that if you could just give a little brief summary about 
kind of where you were before you released this first novel, as far as like, you have a podcast, um, which has a certain audience, you started writing fiction and gave that away for free and things like that. If you could go through that process a little bit and how that kind of evolved into creating a fan base that you have now. Sure. So the podcast that I have is an anime podcast and has nothing to do with books. And I've had that for going on seven years. I was one of the two original founders and it's a lot of fun. And it was something that I did out of passion and wasn't something that I did going into it saying, oh, I'm going to develop a fan base. It was more, I just want to talk about anime because that's what I'm watching and that's what I love. And I kept up with it. As far as the actual writing side of things, I watched the movie Thor and I thought Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth were super hot. And so I wanted to write a fan fiction. But then I said, I know myself. And if I write a fan fiction, it's going to end up being like 200,000 words. And then I'm going to spend a year writing 200,000 words that I can't use for anything because it's not my own characters. So I started at the same time I heard Zed, who's an electronic dance music EDM artist. I heard his song Clarity that was bumping around on the airwaves. And I loved that song and I was really inspired by it. And I started getting a scene in my head to the song because I write to music. And I started asking myself, who are these characters? How did they get here? Why is their love clarity? Why is it insanity? And once I started developing the answers, I was like, oh, hey, there might be a story here. But I was still in that fan fiction mindset, even though it was actual fiction at that point, I was still in that fan fiction mindset. And so I looked at websites familiar to what I knew for fan fiction and for fan fiction I read on fanfiction.net and archive of our own or AO3 and what I liked about them was that you could post chapter by chapter and people could leave feedback chapter by chapter if they wanted and you could get kind of that community feeling from it so I started writing on there and I set the goal of or expectation of myself and to my readers that I would post a chapter a day so I started writing between at the beginning, it was between 2,000 and 3,500 words a day. And at the end, my chapters got longer. And it was between like four and 5,000 words a day. And what I thought was going to be 200,000 words in like a year ended up being closer to 750,000 words across five books in about eight months. And oh. so I... My brain hurts, by the way. <laughs> I remember just being in college and like a 3,000 word paper was like death. It took me like five weeks to get that done. And <laughs> let me just bang a few out in a day. <laughs> I was... I was just thinking about that the other day where my word count a day now, my goal now is 10,000 words a day when I'm drafting. And I I don't hit it. I usually fall short at around like seven or 8,000. Um, but that's that's my goal. And I was thinking about that exact same thing where I was, I was just thinking how when a professor would say, oh, you have a, an 8,000 word essay due by the end of the semester, I would just think to myself, oh, I'm going to die. This is it. This is this is the end, Cruel Worlds. I will not survive this. Now, what were you doing in your job life while you were doing this stuff? Because writing that many words a day plus doing, you know, having a job, that's kind of tough. So I, at that point, I was living in Japan because I just finished my master's and I decided that I didn't want to live in the country anymore. <laughs> and I sold <laughs> off everything I owned. Well, I, 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 I looked at my, he was then boyfriend, quickly became fiance and, and is now husband. And I said, you know, we don't have kids. We're, we're not married. We don't have a house. We don't really have that much debt or anything like that. We don't have anything holding us here. We're never going to be at a place in our lives like this again. 
let's go, let's do this. And so we found jobs and we sold off everything we owned and we moved to Japan and condensed our lives down to three suitcases a piece. And so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then we, while I was there, I was teaching English and I actually moved into a, a regular teaching position while I was over there. And that was what I was doing while I started writing. And I was just a second grade teacher and it was an American curriculum. So I taught social studies, math, science, all of the above. And my class was an awesome, about six to nine kids big. And I say six to nine because it was a research town. And so there were researchers that would get brought in throughout the year. And we would always kind of have a fluctuating student body. And that was just the nature of it. But it was all in English. And and that's what I did. So I taught from... I had to be at school by like 8.30, 8, 8.30, and I taught until 3, 3.30, and then I had 30 minutes to an hour off, and then all teachers had some kind of after-school duty. We had after-school classes. So I would get home usually between 7 and 8 was when I would get home, and then I would start writing, and then between 8 and 10, I would get out my chapter. Wow. That's a lot to do. This is why on the list of things she hasn't done, she has space. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also on my list, by the way. But it's just Not very mine. it's very deep down on my list. You guys really need to catch up with me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even gone to Japan yet, so I'm very far behind. Well, whenever you want to go, let me know. I'll take you. I'll show you around. Right. <laughs> now, what about how you approach stories? So uh, Dorothy and I have talked on this podcast that I'm a plot guy. She's a character girl. And so what kind of person are you when it comes to that? How do, what generates the ideas in your head? Is it the people doing things or the story or the plot doing things? For Air Awakens, it was very much the characters. I had a bit of advice from a friend where we were talking about storytelling. And one of her comments, and, and I think it was her who said this, or we mutually agreed on, I don't know. But the conversation boiled down to, It doesn't matter how amazing the world is, how good the plot is, how fantastic your writing is. If people can't connect to and or hate the characters, no one will read it and no one will care. And so I went into Air Awakens very character driven. I had a a loose idea of the plot, a loose idea of the world, and a lot of it developed as I went. And I really focused on the characters. And, And now I'm going back and I have substantial rewrites because I did approach it that way, that I have all these things in the books where I I cut out about 100,000 words from the final book because it was just full of things that were no longer necessary. The, the pacing was slow because I didn't know what, I didn't know where the characters were going, so I had them traveling for two chapters, <laughs> things like that, that I could then look at and go, I'm gonna delete that because that's boring. And so I, I've had to do a bunch of rewrites approaching it that way. But for future works, I am doing more planning and more world building. And it kills me inside slowly <laughs> to try so, to do that. So you're naturally a pantser then. You, you just write with no idea where you're going to end up. I have an idea of where I'm going to end up. I don't have an idea of how that's going to happen. So when I was writing screenplays and when I converted to writing novels, Writing all those words was a lot like a college paper. And so the number of words was daunting to me. But after a while, when you write enough, words are just words. And so you really, it's a, it's an expression of an idea that you'll either keep or throw away. So I know for people who, who listen, who are new writers or not writers, it sounds daunting to throw away 100,000 words. But when you're a writer, that's how you kind of flesh out your idea. You know, it's kind of like sketching on a piece of paper and then throwing it away if you're a painter. 
So anyway, it's it's kind of like the process. But I, I will say early on, though, throwing away 5,000 words would kill me. Well, I think, too, the thing to remember is that my rewrites happen in the editing process. And editing is not defined by when you can no longer add things to a story. Editing is defined by when you can no longer take away things from a story. Mm. And so... I tighten up a lot in my editing process. When I draft, it's very black on white stream of consciousness. I know where the characters are going. I know what they're doing. Now I do when I write. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think I know where they're going. Sometimes they're they're very obstinate. Yeah. And they don't do what I want them to do. And I have to rework. Yeah. But It's frustrating. Yeah. Obstinate characters. Who likes that? <laughs> but I go through a lot of revisions and I cut a lot because I am quite wordy. So when Air Awakens was done on Fiction Press, I had um, I was I was getting between I'd say twenty and, and forty thousand hits a month across the the story, and I had readers asking me. I, I had them asking me, "What are you doing with this?" And so I pulled my manuscript and I started querying agents. And I had a manuscript. I edited down Air Awakens from like 137, 38,000 words to like 125,000. And I thought, oh man, I cut like just over 10,000 words. I am such a good editor. <laughs> and I had a friend who read it, who's a, a published author through Harlequin Teen. And she basically told me the tough love of no one is going to pay any attention to a young adult manuscript that's over 100,000 words, even in high fantasy, because high fantasy, you get forgiveness on word counts a bit because you have to world build. But she was like, no one's going to pay attention to this. You have to cut it down. And then I cut it down to like 97,000. And then I think my editor whittled out about another 5,000 mm. from it. So the, the final count for Air Awakens ended up being like 92, 93,000 words. Now, when you get stuck, so I'm being a plot guy, when I get stuck, it's because I don't know how to get, even if it's a very short distance in the story from A to B, I don't know how to get there. And so I can't really keep, it's really hard for me to write through it. You know what I mean? Because I just don't, it's, I, I need to build these bridges, transitional bridges from one scene to another. And so... That's where I get stuck. When you're writing, is it is it a plot thing or a character thing where you that will pause you for a moment and and make you kind of think through it? Sometimes it's. I, I think most of the time it's a character thing, and it goes back to those obstinate characters where I need to have something happen, but I can't see the characters doing that thing. It's it's against their character. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't go there. And if I try to force it, it's it's awkward. And so oftentimes, I'll have to revise the plot to some extent to match the way the characters have developed. As far as if I'm, if I'm stuck, though, I write in arcs. When I set out to write a chapter, I have a general emotion, a general perception on where I want the characters to go and what I want the reader to feel. And when that ends... The chapter ends and what I've started to become very good at through editing so heavily and through cutting my manuscripts down so heavily is that I've gotten very good at looking at something and saying people don't need to see how the characters got from point A to point B if it's not important. If right. that traveling or that aspect of how they got from here to here doesn't add to the story, add to the characters, add to the world, add to the reader's enjoyment, 
people don't need to see it. It's okay that you just end one chapter and the next chapter, a week later, they're in the town. Right. They got on the train and they're in the next town. Well, you know, that's really interesting because that's something we noticed whenever we would watch Law and Order was that Law and Order very quickly got from A to B when it came to revealing their plot. As soon as information was revealed, then they cut to the next scene. Instead of watching the investigators walk away or get in their car or have some kind of conversation, they just were like, okay, next. Yeah, they come in very late and they leave very early. As soon as it's done, they cut. And that's something that I didn't do in the original drafts of Air Awakens. It's a single-person POV, third-person perspective, third-person past perspective. And the main character is Vala, and you see the entire story from her perspective. And the first drafts were were almost like a diary to mm-hmm. some extent. And, and not today I did, but they were very over her shoulder. Right. And you saw almost every day, especially in the first two books, almost every day of her journey. And I think it was in the second book where I had my first time skip of like two weeks. And I remember on Fiction Press asking my readers in the author's notes that I put at the end of every chapter, I I would sometimes solicit feedback from readers. And I remember saying, this is my first time skip. I'm (laughs) I'm halfway through the second book and this is my first time skip. Did it work? And that's something that I've gotten a lot more comfortable with. And I think that's just something that comes with practice and knowing yourself as as a writer and as an author of being able to say, this is something I need to tell the story versus this is something that I feel like I need to put in there to create a logic gap. But sometimes you just have to trust your reader to figure out, oh, they got on the train at the end of next chapter (laughs) and now they're in the city. I figure they stayed on the train the whole time and got there. So one of the things I really loved about Air Awakens, I mean, it's a very well-written book, but it's also so different. Thank you. It's so different the way I would write it. So I'm, I'm also impressed by that. Not because, wow, that sounded bad. Not because I'm the pinnacle of anything, but because I I don't have that skill set that you have, at least not yet. So one of the things I loved about it, and again, my screenplay background, my plot-driven background, what I loved about it is that there were some chapters where plot-wise, if you were to look at pure plot-wise, not a lot happened, but within the character, a lot happened. So there was so much tension and drama in, in very subtle things, which I really appreciated. There's a there's a show on Amazon called A Man in the High Castle. I've heard such good things about that it's show. the best show. I think the best show I've ever seen, honestly. It's amazing. But what I love about that is they set a world that's very... I mean, if a world was a fascist world, then then there's enough pressure living in that world as it is. Only very small things have to happen to make your life substantially worse. So plot-wise, not a lot. You don't have to do a lot of traveling, so to speak, to get places or for things to blow up, right? It could just be the, the subtlest thing which sets into you know a, a series of dominoes that makes your life miserable or under a lot of stress or whatever. So what I really love that about your, your writing is that you are able to find all that drama because you're, you're coming from a character perspective, all that drama and tension just in the way that that person is thinking about themselves at that moment or thinking about where they would rather be or the interaction with someone. And um, it was just really cool. I, it, I, I marvel at that because I don't think that way. And I, um, I struggle to, to write that way. You know, it's just not my first impulse. I, I will write the plot down and then I'll go back in, right? I'll get from A to B and then I'll go back in and go, all right, what do they feel about this? And then I'll, re- I'll add all the emotional stuff to it afterwards. I was talking with another author recently to that point, and I was talking about planning because I'm really trying to plan out my next series of novels. And I'm really trying to be good because I 
I don't really have the time that I've had with Air Awakens to basically rewrite the entire series. And so I need to be on point with my foreshadowing and my world building. And I need to have all of that on lock from the start because I can't go back and revise multiple times to say, oh, that's a continuity error or, oh, the that region of the world didn't develop that way and I need to take that out, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I'm planning and... I was talking with this other author and I was basically I was having I was having an author moment and I was like my story sucks everyone's gonna hate it it's uninspired the characters are one-dimensional the plot is basic and boring and and she said she said that 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 synopsis isn't planning it doesn't have heart Right. And yeah. so it'll always feel like it sucks because it doesn't have heart. And and I started to think about that. And if you distill, I would say a lot of novels, not not just my own, I would I would challenge and say a lot of novels, not all, but a lot of novels. If you distill it down to a couple sentences on what the bare bones plot is, you might get to 30,000 words or so of it. But that other, let's say, forty to 60,000, depending on what you're writing, or more than that, is all about the characters. And it's all about that heart that you put in that drives people and their decision-making processes. Now, I also write YA. And so YA, YA is a weird genre because YA is defined as anything for 13 to 19-year-olds but the average age reader, according to a bunch of market studies, is like 37. Right, I know. So, and it's so it's supposed to be teenagers, but many people have an expectation that they're very mature and very adult-like <laughs> and right. going through very adult situations. And so it's 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 a bunch of weird things. But but I think in YA, because there is that, oftentimes at its core, it's a kind of coming of age story. Right, and. And because of that, there is that tension of who am I? Who do I want to be? And that's that's something that I think everyone can relate to. And and it's a good place to start putting in that heart around the the plot summary. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I'd read early on that, you know, young adult, I, I hadn't heard 19. I heard that they can't be, they. I mean, it may be intended for that, but the character itself can't be over 17. So that's what I'd read at one point. So I'm sitting there and, and my character is kind of like a modern day Nancy Drew sort of type. And then I was thinking about all the Nancy Drew stories. And like, she went through like 40 mysteries, like in a year. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? she couldn't age. It was just so funny. Young, young adults, I think it's been relaxed up to 18, 19. You can have main characters in that age range and still get into the young adult bracket. There's the new adult age bracket that I think is, is being defined. I find those terms just weird to begin with because technically you're not an adult until you're 18. So all of this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're a new adult at 21. And then I, I, you're I a new know. adult. You're not young anymore. You're new. <laughs> and well, new adult, the whole idea of it, which I honestly think the idea, idea of it is almost a little insulting because it's like, well, people need a bridge between young adult novels and adult novels. <laughs> right. They can't just go straight into adult novels. But new adult novels got its traction in the contemporary romance world and so there's a lot of perception of new adult as being like smutty and kind of 50 shades of gray light 
And so there's usually I was I was joking with someone once of how new adult is basically good girl in college falls in love with bad boy who's struggling to get by changes him and there's some sex involved. And that's kind of kind of new adult. But I think that the new adult genre is becoming broader than that. And it is having a shifting definition. But but for the most part, the industry recognizes young adults and adults and new adults is this kind of uh, where does that fit? Yeah. And there's there's interesting things that you can do as far as as the character ages in young adult. But but looking to to your point and to the industry's point of of young adult novels are anything with characters that are that are have a coming of age story and are ages thirteen to nineteen. Game of Thrones is technically a young adult novel by that definition because in the they age them up for the show. But if you've read the books, all of the characters I think Daenerys in the books is like sixteen. Bran, Rob Stark is, I want to say, 14, 15, that age range. Sansa is 13 or 14. I think she starts at 12 and goes through 14 in the book so far. And I'm sure someone is a huge Game of Thrones fans and will listen to this and be like, um, excuse me? <laughs> you got the timeline wrong. But but my point is, is that the majority of the characters that we get point of view chapters from, well, maybe not majority, but a lot of them are in that age bracket. But I don't think anyone would call Game of Thrones a young adult novel. Mm-hmm. So it's it's weird trying to pigeonhole your novel into things that work for the industry. But you have to do it. Whether yourself or traditional published, you have to do it because you have to create that expectation between how the industry defines it because that's how the reader defines it. And that's how they look for books. One thing I do like about independent publishing is that you can, you have the freedom to play around with that, right? So you are you have the freedom to indulge in niches so I listened to well Lindsay Broker. You were on her podcast, and I, I love her. And she was, um, you know, she does like steampunk stuff, and she's trying sci-fi steampunk romance or some sort of weird combination. But the cool thing about independent publishing, because you are doing it yourself, is you could say, well, I'm just going to try this because it interests me, and we'll see what happens. So you can play around with those expectations a little bit and get away with it, knowing that it's a niche, though. I mean, you're not going to reach probably the broadest audience. Well, and I think that's the the pros and cons that you have to weigh for what you're going into this for is that if you write in a niche, there's only so many readers in, in a certain market. And if you write, I'm not trying to dissuade people from writing in niches. I think writing in niches is fun. And I think cross genre stuff is, is super cool. But there is that confusion on the consumer side of what is this novel who is this novel for and if they can't answer that then i think the default for many consumers is it's not for me right yeah no i agree with air awakens and the release of that you had a a lot of success very quickly how does that affect it kind of the way you approach the craft um the the kind of opportunities you have uh you talked about that author moments it's so funny to me that every single author when they when they started that blank page, they're like, God, this is going to suck. It's so funny. It doesn't matter how successful they are. Every, every time, every author I've ever spoken to, and I've, and I've been very fortunate to meet some lovely authors from all walks, traditional, indie, small authors, one-off authors, series authors, New York Times bestselling authors, adults, young adults. Like, I've, I've been very fortunate to speak with a lot of authors. And it is. It's... If, if you are just starting out on a manuscript or are releasing a manuscript, you get that same feeling of everyone is going to hate it. <laughs> it's so I'm, funny. I'm starting to feel that creeping up in the back of my mind right now because I'm about to send out ARCs, advanced reader copies, for my fourth book. 
And I'm starting to have that tension. I can feel it winding up in me, that 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 bowstring tension of I'm going to let this thing go and everyone is going to hate it. I'm going to the arrow is going to fly and it's going to get caught in the wind and shoot right back around and hit me in the face. Like a boomerang arrow. It's going to yes. <laughs> and and that's completely natural. Um so you were able to quit your day job to do this. So that's given you more time, but uh, do you feel any increased pressure because I hear that conversation a lot. There was a Russell Blake who's a successful like spy thriller writer, independent writer. He says, you know, if you're successful enough and you you quit your day job, what you found yourself is another job. Because if you want to do it for a living, you have to consider it like a small business. So I was just wondering, having kind of new in this uh, the successful arena, how that's kind of uh, influenced you or impacted you and, and things you kind of expected and things that kind of surprised you. Well, I have an accountant and a lawyer. That's new. <laughs> <laughs> have they been to space? <laughs> they have not been no. to well. I don't know. I mean, I haven't asked them. Yeah, I haven't had ask. the conversation of have you been to space yet? So comes up but, so easily. It's inevitable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we had it. <laughs> but that was there. There was definitely that moment where, OK, this is legit and I should be legit because there are people that I don't want to be pissed off at me. One of them is the IRS. The IRS is <laughs> yeah, pretty high up there. Good plan. And they, you know, want their money. So there there was that. There was that element, as you kind of said, as a small business. I, I incorporated into a small business. And, and it wasn't things that I... I kind of knew that that was a, a trajectory because my master's is, is a master's in business administration. I have an MBA, so I do have a, a business background. Now, granted... My background, my focus in my MBA was marketing and international business. Finance and accounting made me cry, which is why <laughs> I needed an accountant because I did not trust myself to do it. And and he advised me on what I needed to do as far as incorporation and all of that. So that was taken care of. From a, from a craft perspective, when I put out the first book, I think I had 40 pre-orders, maybe like 43 pre-orders on Air Awakens. And I think I sold like 20, 30, maybe 40 more books in the first week. And so I I didn't go into it thinking about any of that. And, and I set up the pre-order for the next book three months out because Amazon doesn't let independent authors set up pre-orders for ebooks more than 90 days out. And, and I'm, I'm actually discovering that might be for a lot of publishers, but they, they don't allow that pre-order to be set up. And so I discovered on Fiction Press, a really great way to get noticed is to be regular mm. and to to make that commitment of, I am going to post, when I, on Fiction Press, it was, I'm going to post a chapter every day. And by doing that, I built a trust with my readership that I was going to keep delivering for them. And I approached publishing the same way, where I said, I'm going to publish a book every three months. And that was my commitment to my readership of I was going to have a book out. Now, so there was pressure for that. Granted, I I did have the whole series finished, but it needed substantial rewrites. Um, there was pressure there, but it wasn't that much until it started doing well because then it was the, oh, people are actually paying attention to this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this isn't just something that I put up that I had my friends and family and then a handful of random people read it. That this, this is a thing. And so I wanted to 
up my game appropriately and not have issues. And and then there is the pressure of there's there's book bloggers and booktubers and I love them and bookstagrammers and and they're amazing people, but there there is that pressure of you get someone who has 5,000 Twitter followers and and 1,500 Instagram fans and 6,000 bookstagram followers. And if that person says this book is awful or this book is good, either way, it has an impact. And so there is that kind of pressure of wanting to deliver something that, that people will like that wasn't there before. Now I think most of my pressure is, I was really nervous between the second and the third book. I'm less nervous between the third and the fourth book. I, I've, I've heard this in the industry and I, and I feel like it's true of if people get three books in a series, they know if they're continuing or not. Yeah. By, by that point, they're either, the, the first book could be a fluke, the second book could confirm or deny their suspicions, but by the end of the third book, they know if they're in or not. Yeah, and so you have I'm, like an 80%. I think it's like 80% of the people who read the third book will read the fourth and so on. Yeah, so, so I'm... I've crossed that threshold. So I'm I'm still I want to deliver the best books I can and I want them to be loved and I want them to I don't want to fail my readership. I'm feel less pressure at this point. Right now my pressure is in my next series and that I'm loading into the gun and <laughs> waiting to fire. <laughs> and with that one it's it's really nerve-wracking because it is it starts to become those questions of did she have one story or right. can she tell more stories? Is it going to be Air Awakens 2.0, but with a different world and different character names? Or is it going to yeah. be another original story that people will like? And that's starting to become the pressure that's creeping in with all of that and all the questioning that's that's coming up. Well, one of my favorite moments was in my personal email, I got the Amazon like hot things I should read and your book was in it. And I was so excited about it. I think I said it, I ordered or copied it or something, but I was like, you're in it. You're in my personal email. It was amazing. It was so funny and so cool seeing pictures from your book signing in California because I'm like, she has fans. <laughs> like everywhere. She's my friend and she has fans. <laughs> it was the weird, people came with t-shirts they made. That's so great. Um, that is awesome. It's it's crazy and it's cool. And I, I spent, House of Cards came out yesterday. So I was like, I'm not getting my word count out today. That's what I heard from so many people at work are like, it's posted. And they're like, oh crap, there goes my weekend. That's yeah. what everyone said. So I'm, I'm seven episodes in right now. But I got a delivery of bookmarks for book four. And I have about 400 that I need to sign for my street team. And I was like, well... I know what I'm doing while I watch House of Cards. <laughs> so I was still being productive and I was addressing 60, 70 envelopes. I still have more to get through, but I have more House of Cards to watch, so it's okay. And I was working through all that, but it, it, it's weird. It's it's that moment where people are like, can I have, can can you autograph my book? And I'm just like, I don't, sure, why? I mean, okay, but- <laughs> Why would you want that? Why do you want that? And, and it's just weird where- I have on this form that I put up on my street team where people can request a number of bookmarks and then they can request how many they want signed. And I'm like, you can put zero. (laughs) (laughs) You can request none of them. Like (laughs) It's okay. So you also had a recently an electronic book signing where you're actually signing ebooks. So could you go through that a little bit? Because that's relatively new technology. So that was a lot of fun. I teamed up with Benjamin of Tomes, who's a booktuber, someone who talks about books on YouTube, booktuber. Yeah. And 
I was like, hey, let's do a live signing. We can have it be a mini interview and I'll sign the first 15 people who request a copy. I ended up getting, I think, over 100 requests. And wow. I think I signed close to 30 because I just felt bad with that many requests. And it was so easy to sign. So the way the technology works, it's through a company called Autography. Super, super cool. And it's basically an app on an iPad. And I have the books loaded in there and I have signing pages that are images. And then I pick the book that I want to send somebody or they can request it. And then it comes up in a queue for me. So either or. And I have their name and their email and I select their book that they requested, open it up and I have a signing page and it can be a blank page or it can be a special image that I had put in for the book. And then I can sign with a stylist on the iPad, whatever I want. And it's not a carbon copy signature. I sign every single one of them like I would physical books. So it's not like I'm just dragging and dropping a JPEG of my signature. (laughs) And I'm sure you can tell by the fact of how messy my handwriting is on some of them. But then what ends up happening is, is that when it gets sent to the reader, the cover gets lifted off, the signing page gets put in after the cover, and then it all gets compressed back down into one book. So it doesn't mess up. Yeah, it doesn't mess up the page nation or anything. And then the the reader gets an email and they can select how they want it, PDF, EPUB, or Mobi. And they just download it like that. And it's super, super cool. That is really neat. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about was the marketing piece, because you, now granted you have a history with that, but one of the things I really love about this, and I've been reading a lot about this lately, is the way that you use your marketing to connect with your fans. So your marketing isn't solely, some of it's for awareness, right? Like I just remember you were in a train recently in Japan and you you put your, I think it was your second book up against the window and says your book is traveling through Japan or something. It was just really funny. But also there's a lot of things that you do marketing wise that allow the fans to interact or connect or it never comes off as buy my book. You know what I mean? It's it seems to be developing a relationship with your fans. And so how do you how do you approach that? Because that's really, really effective. I try to not be a jerk. <laughs> that's that's the start of it. Honestly, the way that I look at it from <laughs> just the start. <laughs> I, like, I should make a note. <laughs> well, the the way that I look at it, I I look at it in a couple of ways. One, from a very technical perspective, from a cold marketing technical perspective. I want people to follow me, to buy into me and not just Air Awakens because Air Awakens is going to end and it's going to fade into obscurity and that's just the nature of it and that's fine. And so I want people to have that connection with me as an author because I want them to, when my next work comes out, I want them to at least look at it and see if it's something that they're interested in because they have that connection with me as an author. And and I think on the flip side, you have to put out good books. You have to build oh, that yeah. foundation with content. But whenever someone's reading my book and tags me on something on Twitter or Instagram, I always say, I hope you enjoy it. But if you don't, there's always more books on the proverbial shelf. And it's it's that moment where it's recognizing... I feel like my book isn't going to be liked by everyone. Not everyone is going to read it. Not everyone is going to want to read it. And going into it with an expectation, nobody likes the used car salesman, the the stereotypical, I should say, because there's nothing wrong with being a used car salesman. (laughs) But they're very big listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I know you are you are trending high with that particular demographic. But the stereotypical pushy, hey, hey, have you heard? We have this deal. We have this deal. Have right, you heard? Yeah. It's, it's, and I, 
I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be that. Nobody likes that. And the other thing, just from a life and a dating perspective, no one likes desperation. Right. And there's kind of a courtship to be interested in my work, read my work. And, and nobody likes, people can smell when you're desperate yeah, for something. Can. That's a really good analogy, actually. And so I didn't want to go into this saying, oh my God, please date me. I want you to date me so bad. Which is basically what you're doing if you're going on Twitter and saying, buy my book. Ugh. I want you to buy my book so bad. I and, hate those things. And I, I went into it saying... I'm going to price my books at $3.99. I'm not going to give them away for free. This is a product. Right. I have put work and time and money and effort into it. There is a intrinsic value associated with it. And if people see that value, that's what they'll pay for it. Right. And, and so I've never offered my book for free. I've never... I'm three books into the series and I have not put the first book at 99 cents permanently. I have run... I've run two sales for the first book at 99 cents. And one of them was for Black Friday that I used to kind of test the waters to see what kind of bump that gave, mm-hmm. offering at 99. And then the other time I did it was I, I got on BookBub, which is right. a really big mailing list. Wow, that's huge. And I got on BookBub when the third book came out and did that. And that was the other time I offered a sale for 99 cents because the whole, I got on BookBub with it. And that was definitely what launched Air Awakens into the top 100 on Amazon when it hit top 100 overall and so those were the only two times that that I've offered sales at 99 so I I actually really don't like this movement where I'm going to offer my first book for for free I I think there's a point at which that makes sense once Air Awakens has been Air Awakens has been out for five years or even a couple years and and I might get to a point where I say, okay, the first book's permanently at 99 cents and and I'm going to do that. Or maybe maybe free. I don't know. I have an issue with free. But I feel like, and I've I've spoken to, to readers and bloggers, there's almost a negative effect it can have too. Because a, a negative effect on all parties involved. Because on the reader side, they look at it and there's that, why is it so cheap? Right. Why Why is this book so cheap? Is there something wrong with it? Is there something broken about it is it yeah did it get edited yeah yeah. did it and i think there's a stigma that still exists with independent publishing and the whole 99 cents or free thing screams independent publishing and and i don't want to seem like i'm knocking people who do this because whatever you want to do you do you but i'm just saying from a craft perspective independent or traditional authors put in a lot of work yeah. And it's it's a lot of time and it is a job. And and for many people, it either is how they pay their bills or it's how they want to pay their bills. Right. And I think there should be an amount of respect for that craft. Just like with music, just like with any form of art. If if it's if it's good and something people will pay for, they should pay for it. And and that's how I view it, and that's why I try to buy other authors' books, even when they're like, I can send you a free copy. I'm like, no, I'll buy it. I will yeah. I will support your craft because yeah. that's what I believe in. But I think from a marketing perspective, it comes from not coming off as a as a salesman and just making myself as available as possible to the readers because I I very much recognize when I started out that I was no one. I was literally no one right. in in the writing world. I didn't have a book. I didn't most of my fiction press readers I I lost touch with because I queried for a year and I was gone. Right. So I didn't have that anymore. I didn't have people vouching for me. I didn't have a publisher behind me. I didn't have a publicist. I didn't have a marketing team. It was me myself and I. And I recognized that part of what got my book places was the people, the book bloggers who took a chance on it and 
I don't want to cheapen what they have done for me by presenting a front of myself or presenting just a salesman saying, hey, buy my book. Yeah, well, one thing you do really well too is that you, I mean, with any customer, you want to provide them value and not just the book value, you want to, you provide more than that. So whether it's the bookmarks or you have these stickers or you've created so much, well, the industry calls it swag, but there's a lot of things that you allow people to, that you'll give away or allow people to get that, that is just beyond the book. So you're not just saying buy my book, you're saying, oh, well, here's a book and oh, and here's a a bookmark with it. Oh, and look, there's a sticker that was made specifically for this release or something like that. So you're always like surrounding this this purchase with more than just the book. It's never, doesn't, or at least the perception is it's never just about the book. It's kind of like the, like you said, the relationship, you're you're having this relationship with them. Well, and I I have, I said someone made a t-shirt, my street team, is called the Tower Guard. They recently named themselves that, which I love. And <laughs> I made a, a logo for the Tower Guard because I'm my background's in marketing. And of course, if it has a name, it needs a logo. <laughs> it needs a logo, yeah. And so I, I made a logo for the Tower Guard and, and the shirt, the, the shirt that the girl made. And, and one of the things I did is I put on, I have a page for the Tower Guard with a bunch of media. And I put on that page, I put very high res versions of the logo I put it on the page and I went to the Tower Guard and I said, look, I am giving you the high res versions of these files because I want you to be able to go crazy with them. I want you to make buttons and images and, and make it your own and do your own things with them and do your own edits. And I said, I said the ground rules. I was like, my only ground rule is you can't profit off of it. I have chosen not to and I want it to belong to the community. I don't want any one person in this community to profit off of that imagery. Right. Now, if someone wants to make their own imagery and profit off of that, that's theirs and that's fine. But that was the only thing that I said to the community is I was like, if if you wanna make buttons, if you have a button maker and someone says, hey, send me a button, sure, don't do it for free. It costs materials and it costs shipping. But right. I said to the community, I was like, look, it just don't profit off of it. And and it's been amazing. And And, and I think there's that, There's that thing that I think reflects humanity and society where people are intrinsically good and Mm -hmm. people are intrinsically kind and people are intrinsically thoughtful. And sometimes all it takes is just that faith that they're going to be that way and not go from it from a perspective of, I'm going to try to stop you from being sneaky and just go from it from a perspective of, I trust you to do the right thing. And so far it hasn't burned me i'm sure it will eventually (laughs) but the only the only thing that i've stopped doing and and i've started to stop doing is before on my facebook i would friend almost anyone who sent me a friend request and i've gotten one too many one too many men who friend me and then send very interesting messages once i friended them (laughs) that i've stopped that i've started to i haven't those are so far the only people that i've blocked and they've all originated from the penal system yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) well that is the downside of it right i mean as you become a public figure at some point whether you want to or not it's it's weird it is that that whole thing is weird. The whole thing is weird. I I I say don't trust me to author. I'm still learning how to author. I said it at my signing where someone the first person put a book in front of me and it was the girl who had the Tower Guard t-shirt and I was like, "Man, this girl is awesome. I know who she is. She's so active. She made a t-shirt. I want to write something really profound in her book and I'm just staring at it." <laughs> And I don't know what to write. I'm just sitting there staring at her book going, 
I don't, I forgot how to author. I don't know what to write in it. I don't know what to do with this. I, and I'm like, I don't want you to think that I don't want to sign it. I do. I just want to write something really that encapsulates how I feel about you. And I I lost all my words. They're gone. (laughs) You're great. You're great. Yeah. Like, you're awesome. Thanks. Just like yearbook signings. You're great. Have a good summer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. Don't you think, Dorothea? Well, I always think spending time with Elise is wonderful. It is awesome because you guys are exactly alike. (laughs) You guys are the same person, almost like clones from different genomes. I don't think that's possible. No. But still, I said like. We're going to go with it. (laughs) Nothing's impossible. So this has been awesome. Thank you very much for your time and your insight. It is wonderful. And um, uh, I don't know. It's just so exciting to see you do well, really. It is is the coolest thing ever. So one day I'll be on your podcast and you'll feel the same way about me. (laughs) (laughs) You could be on my podcast. I just don't know if you'd have that much to contribute about the current state of the anime industry. No offense. No, no, probably not. Maybe you can convert Gabby Wells to an anime. To an anime. I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening because this podcast is awesome. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for joining us this week. It's been a little longer episode, but the interview was really awesome and we wanted to include all of it. So there you go. So if you would like to comment on today's episode, please feel free to do that in the comment box below or rate us on iTunes or... You can email me at pete at petebowerbooks.com. And if you're interested in checking out some of Elise's work, bear in mind that her books and her stories do not subscribe to Catholic teaching. So Right, there's outright fantasy and they don't have any of the religious nature to it that ours do. So if you want to check it out, just keep that in mind. But um, her website is also in the show notes below and you can visit her at eliskova.com. That is E-L-I-S-E-K-O-V-A. Yep, and she is one of the coolest people I've ever known. Yeah, like I said, when you start with space... (laughs) <laughs> there's a there's just an indication right then and there yeah yeah you can only go up from there get it <laughs> space oh yeah i know it's a sad way to end the show but thank you so much for being on the show elise you are wonderful yep all right so thank you very much everybody and we will see you guys next time bye <laughs>